it's your boy, and welcome to episode 60 of the podcast. This is M, which you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Everywhere you find good podcasts, you'll find this one. Take a minute, rate and review us, give us five stars, type a couple sentences about why you like the podcast and why others will also. And if you can think of one person in your life you think would like the podcast, go ahead and send them your favorite episode. Well, let's cut right to the chase, folks. Uh, Joe Biden has been elected president. And, uh, you know, if you had asked me two days ago, I would have said I was sick and tired about hearing about the election. And I know we've all been on pins and needles since uh, Election Day Tuesday for the results. Um, And I don't know, I assume my trajectory was like uh, most people. Uh, I was not at all uh, anticipating having uh, the results back on Tuesday night. Um, And thankfully, I was working. Um, I was expecting to hear a lot more about it. Um, It just didn't come up a lot, which I was actually kind of grateful for. But uh, I did do the refresh thing for most of the evening. And, you know, going into the election, at first I felt kind of stupid because I was feeling pretty optimistic that Joe Biden would win. And, you know, in the weeks leading up to the election, I was pretty happy that the polls were showing that Joe Biden was, you know... um, Uh, forecasted to win for the most part. And, you know, within a couple hours, or I should actually say by the end of the night, probably about 11 o'clock our time here uh, on the uh, West Coast, midnight, um, it was not looking good. And it wasn't decided by any stretch of the imagination, but um, the forecast was not good. It looked like it was going to be another upset. Most of the important states were leaning toward Trump. And, of course, people were speculating, well, there's still millions of ballots, mail-in ballots specifically, that are going to be counted, so the tide could turn. But by the end of the first night, I really, like a lot of people, I went to bed feeling pretty disappointed and not optimistic. And, you know, we always do this thing when we, you know, people will say, well, I read an article which said X, but really it's, I read a headline which says X, nobody reads articles anymore. But I did see one headline the next morning that said, the nightmare is here. And I'm not a doom and gloom sort of person, but that, but that did kind of summarize how I felt, which is, for a lot of us, Trump winning uh, last year was an absolute worst case scenario. And I probably told this story before, but it's worth recounting, which is, you know, I remember exactly where I was when they announced Trump's win, I was at the Starry Plow in Berkeley, uh, which is an Irish bar. I, I did Irish dancing there for a year. I don't know if I've really gone into that whole story about me doing Irish dancing at the Starry Plow, but um, I did that every Monday for a year, and maybe we'll go into that sometime. Um, I don't think, I, I don't know. I'd have to look at the calendar. It, pro- it, wasn't a, uh, it wasn't a Monday night they announced the results. I don't know what it was, but I was there for whatever reason. And I remember I was standing at the bar having a drink. I was by myself. And I showed up around the time where the scales were tipping toward Trump and they were, they were pretty much getting ready to call it. Um, and it was just a huge upset. I mean, all the polls and all the, I don't know what the fuck they're looking at, but everybody was, everybody was saying Hillary Clinton was a sure shot to win it. And lo and behold, everybody starts calling the race for Trump. And I was standing at the bar and this woman behind me, I shit you not, this is not a dramatization, literally just went, no 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 just like frantic and weeping like she was uh at a funeral or something and you know that wasn't uh that wasn't my reaction but um you know i I wasn't necessarily surprised either i mean that was a worst case scenario for many people but this is the part that got me is uh, two seconds after she completed this uh funeral wail she goes see See, this is why I don't vote. And, you know, in hindsight, I wish I had the, you know, what, what, what you wish you had done is like turn around and like grab them by the lapels and just like scream in their face. You don't get to say shit for the next four years. I'm going to be watching you. I'm going to be fucking trailing you. When you, when, when you don't think anyone's watching, I'm going to be fucking watching. And when you have a couple glasses of wine and you log on to Facebook at some point and you want to bitch and moan about Trump doing X, Y, or Z, I'm going to fucking kick down the door and I'm going to scream at you, get away from the fucking keyboard because you don't get to complain for the next four years. You don't get to say shit. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm thinking about the time. Remember I was talking about the time where <laughs> in some ways I was having a laugh about this with somebody that I work with recently, this idea that 
you know, we're all sort of, um, we're all hypocrites, right? We're all slaves to our, our, our base nature because nobody's watching. It's easy for us to sit around and talk about how much we hate Amazon or how much we hate company, whatever. But they make it too easy. You know, Amazon has a shit ton of my money. So does Apple. Um, uh, you know, I'm not saying that this makes people a, a baseless hypocrites, but it just, it's observably true that, you know, most of the people who are social justice warriors are tweeting about social justice from iPhones that were assembled by children in um, Indonesia, right? Or were made in a factory where, where, where people's working conditions are so horrible, they're literally leaping from the fifth story after uh, five days of uh, all work with no breaks or something like that, right? Um that's okay. I mean, it's it it doesn't invalidate anyone's point. It just uh, it just is what it is. But what am I talking about? Oh, um, you know, some of the most vocal people I know who are um, you know politically active. I bet if we actually looked at their voting record, I would not be surprised if a lot of those people did not participate. Um, uh, anyway, I don't want to make too big a deal out of it. I just. Uh, uh, there was just something about that moment where the person at the starry plow, this older woman, uh, is both uh, bemoaning the state of the, uh, of the of the world politically uh, at this moment in time, and also did absolutely nothing to stop it from happening. Um, not everybody, uh, but th- that has happened. I, I will say this though: I feel like this year. I mean, I know I certainly stepped up. Um, you know, I probably could have done a lot more, but you know, I'm normally not politically active whatsoever. And, and I have heard it for every single election of my life. The first election I ever voted in was John Kerry versus George Bush for, um, excuse me, for George Bush's uh, re-election, which we lost. But, um, that was the first election I ever uh, took part in. And I remember exactly where I was when Barack Obama was elected into office. Um, I, I, I've been doing a a mail-in uh, voting for the last, you know, how, I mean, uh, really since I've, I've been able to vote, I, I don't think I've ever gone to a polling place for a presidential election. Um, but, um, I remember when Barack Obama was elected, uh, I was sitting in a, you know, I just gotten off work. A couple of us went to this bar up the street at the time. I think it was called Blake's in Berkeley. It was up on Telegraph Avenue. And I remember just a sea of people coming down Telegraph Avenue, um, celebrating. It was a celebratory parade. And people were, they were just sort of gathering people as they were moving up the street. And people had sparklers, and people were yelling and screaming, and people had megaphones, and people had streamers and banners and all sorts of stuff. And, um, you know, obviously you're not going to be able to picture it if you're not from around here, but there's this major intersection up near the UC Berkeley campus. It's Dwight and Telegraph. Major intersection up there. Um, actually, it may have been Bancroft. Wait. I don't fucking know. But anyway, it's this major, major intersection up near the UC Berkeley campus. And people just congregated in the middle of the street, right? So traffic was closed off. They had the police around, but they were basically just directing traffic out of the way. They were letting people do whatever they wanted. And I remember climbing up on the uh, traffic light, uh, not all the way at the top, but just sort of shimmied up a little bit. So I was standing on the sort of pedestrian crossing part. You know, I just had a little um, a pedestal to stand on so I could get a better view of the crowd. And I remember seeing everyone celebrating, and it was cool, and it was nice to be a part of. And of course, you know, first black president, it, it felt great. Um, but I, you know, I, I remember when Trump got elected, I was, I was affected by it for a while. And um, you know, I'm not saying that I was impacted by his actual presidency. <laughs> you know, as a uh, as a straight white dude. Um, no matter who would have won this election, I may have been upset about it, but, um, you know, I wouldn't have been as impacted by it as many people would have been. But I am not a huge fan of Joe Biden. I mean, I think the dude's pretty much dead in the eyes. I don't think he's a great candidate, and I don't think he won anybody over. But the fact that Trump is not going to be president for four more years is a huge fucking relief. You know, and I don't think we... I don't think you can ever undo the damage that Trump did in the last four years in one night or with one election. But uh, it's just, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm just hashing stuff that everybody, uh, well, clearly not everybody feels, but maybe it just sounds like some half-baked political commentary. Um, 
I certainly don't pretend to have a hot take on this stuff. But it, you know, even for someone who feels relatively unsophisticated politically, it's just beyond me that any reasonable person can hear that man speak and think, that's the guy for me. I mean, even if you agreed with this policy, I, I, the, the analogy I always use is if, if, you're, if he was a buddy of your dad's, who your dad just brought over for dinner, you would be like, who the fuck is this dum-dum? You wouldn't want this guy coaching your Little League team, let alone being president of the United States. He acts like exactly what he is, a reality TV television host uh, who inherited millions and is not, not a very good businessman, who up until uh, four years ago was running around trying to, trying to have sex with uh, uh, pageant women from Miss America Universe or whatever the fuck. Uh, just a smarmy guy. Like, uh, not only not somebody that you would want to be, nobody you would ever want your children to become like. And the number of people that I have seen out here, um, you know, you know, uh, nobody in my inner circle is a, is a Trump supporter as far as I can tell, but people I'm connected with on social media, I'm sure you're connected to them too. The number of people who I know who otherwise I, you know, I, I find them to be relatively intelligent, relatively smart. Uh, financially savvy, business savvy, uh, well-educated, who just seem to have this compartmentalization where they they just hear him speak and they, th- I, I don't know how they experience him. It, it's something akin to a cult leader, right? Where everybody else just hears him and, and, and sort of sees right through the bullshit. Um, I mean, I know Scientology's had a renaissance, but, you know, just an objective person looking at that system of thinking from a distance just thinks, oh, that's nonsense, or that's kind of silly. And it doesn't mean that they don't at the same time hold equally silly beliefs, right? I mean, when I was younger, this was the number one argument against religion, right? Like, as an atheist, you know, um, one, of the com- <laughs> one of the common things you hear people say is, everybody knows what it's like to be an atheist, you know? Even people of faith look at every other religion in the world, you know, and decide that they're nonsense or think that, you know, they see the dogma, they see the, um, you know, really the arbitrariness of the system of thinking. Um, and atheist just includes one more, theirs. You know, all you have to do is to be, all you have to do to be a full-fledged atheist is just take the atheism you extend to every other system of religious thinking in the world and just now throw yours in there also. Um, but you see this when you look at like Scientology or uh, Mormonism. You know, e- even from a distance, you see the group think, you see the way people interact in such a way that they, they just sort of, um, you know, they, they uh, in, uh, <laughs> you know, it's an echo chamber. All right. Um, nothing new to say here. I, I just wanted to uh, maybe just voice my relief, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and really just maybe say that, you know, I don't think Joe Biden is great, but this is, I, I, in some ways I feel like I almost had a stronger emotional reaction to uh, Biden winning than Obama winning. But I will say this, I mean, I thought that, you know, I um, spent the weekend with my girlfriend, maybe we'll go over some of the some of the stuff we did. We had a fucking really busy day yesterday. It was a lot of fun. Um, but just one of those days where you crawl into bed and you feel like you've earned it, you know, like you really, you did a lot. I mean, we were tr- tramping all over the Bay Area. We did errands. We uh, we did fun. We went for a hike. We went and saw a show at a drive. We saw a comedy show at a drive-in. Um, so maybe we'll get into that. But I woke up this morning. Um, I did a shit ton of reading this week, folks. God, we're gonna get into it. This should just become a fucking book club book club podcast at the rate I'm I'm just talking about reading lately. But but as I'm coming home this morning and I'm like unloading my groceries out of the truck, I was reminded of. You know, I had <laughs> a couple years ago, more than a couple years ago, eight years ago, nine years ago, who the fuck knows, I had this sort of aborted attempt to go back to school. I had moved out to the Bay Area. I had been here for maybe two years or something like that. I wasn't doing shit. I wasn't doing anything musically. I was just working at a bar. I was, I was just doing nothing. And I had this half ass attempt to think, oh, I'm going to go back to school. 
and I had a semester of U.S. government, or I should say I had three quarters of a semester of U.S. government. I didn't even finish the semester. And I don't know if you had the same thing I did, but I've con- I, I, have, I don't remember exactly what the teacher looked like because I've literally pasted, and I'm not supposed to be saying literally, but I pasted the face, I have pasted the face of another teacher who I know is not this person onto their body. You know, when I was going to a performing arts boarding school, I, it was also a history class that I took. It was the first, uh, first place I ever saw the movie Seven Samurai, the Kurosawa film Seven Samurai. We were learning about feudal Japan. And at the end of that um, sequence, we watched Seven Samurai, which was a, a game changer for me. But that's besides the point. I remember that teacher very clearly. You know, he was this sort of... Um, I mean, <laughs> not that he would be happy to hear this, but he was just kind of a butterball, you know? But he, you know how some people just hold their weight differently? Like, you just couldn't pick, if this guy ever lost weight, he'd look strange. Like, that type of body. Like, he was just born to be this size. He was just a sort of boyish butterball of a history teacher. And I know that I'm picturing his face when I think of my uh, U.S. government teacher from my... Um, aborted attempt at returning to school at junior college eight or nine years ago or whatever it was. But that's who I'm picturing. But the point is, is that the only thing I remember from that U.S. government class, the only thing, other than, <laughs> other than, I do remember one other thing. There was this girl who used to sit over my left-hand shoulder, um, kind of a cute girl. I, I, I think that's why I remember her and why this stood out to me. But there was something that she used to do all the time that just perplexed me. Um... She would walk into class every day and kind of sit behind me, but she had this like monster energy drink that was just fucking gigantic. You know, I I don't know what 32 ounces is or whatever it was, but it was fucking ginormous. And I remember one time in the middle of class, I started to hear her stomach kind of gurgling and she had to like run out of class. Clearly she was having some kind of gastrointestinal distress and I'm sympathetic to that. I'm not making fun of her for that necessarily. But for me, it was obvious that this, uh, this uh, uh, canteen of a sugary beverage that she was drinking every day in class was probably not helping her. So anyway, that's something that's always set out in my mind. But besides that, it was my U.S. government teacher saying he was reflecting on uh, the U.S. presidency in the United States. And he said, when you look back at the history of presidents in the United States, you always see this pendulum swing. You go from very conservative to liberal to conservative to liberal, and it just seesaws back and forth. And every time a new president takes office, they actively undo the work that the former president did in some ways, and they try to move the country toward a certain direction. And then you get another president who takes it in a completely different direction. And then the next president comes in and moves it in another direction, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I've heard that my whole life. I mean, every election I've ever been a part of or have had a consciousness to consider. I mean, I remember Ross Perot. I remember Bill Clinton running. Um, but that was just sort of background, right? Excuse me. Like when you're younger, you don't really consider that stuff. It's just sort of background noise in your life. Um, but every election I've been able to consider has, you know, it's been um, advertised as the most important election of our lifetime. You know, and I hear more and more people saying this, um, which just suggests to me that's probably observably true. But, I mean, I remember when George Bush was the fucking Antichrist, and people thought he was a fucking adullard. Like, people thought you could, people were incredulous that someone like him could assume office. They talked about George Bush like he walked around with his nose in his finger in a propeller beanie. And he would stumble over his words sometimes, and that's all people talked about. That was the news cycle. George Bush Bush stuttered, or he couldn't find a door. There was this famous incident where he was like giving a speech and he couldn't find the exit door, which you sort of feel for a guy. I mean, I'm sure every performer has ever had this. If if they've ever had to enter or exit through a curtain, like finding that opening is a fucking nightmare. You know, or when that person uh, uh, threw their shoe at George Bush... I mean, he was fucking Bozo the Clown, 
for eight years. As far as liberals were concerned, he was Bozo the Clown. Now, Bozo the Clown doing a, a, a serious amount of damage and leading the, <laughs> leading the country into a war that we didn't need to be involved in, of course. Uh, don't want to minimize those things. But I just think if you had shown people the crystal ball and shown them, uh, you know, when George Bush was leaving office and just said, just wait eight years, and when the pendulum swings in the other direction, wait till you see who it's going to be. Um, which actually terrifies me in some ways. Um, this is sort of a half-baked idea. So, I, I you know, w- <laughs> again, I don't pretend to be the most sophisticated person politically, but one thing I, I, I have been thinking about you know, Trump is a cartoon character, and he's very easy to make fun of. And I think the reason it was so easy to not reelect him was because he was such a buffoon. Um, but I've also been very disturbed by the reaction of his supporters to the election results. And of course, it's all stoked by Donald Trump. It's not like, um, I mean, this is something we were anticipating the entire time with the election, right? That Trump would not take it lying down, that he was going to fight it. Um, that even if Biden won, there would be some, you know, I'm not concerned that he's going to stay in the White House. Like people think there's going to be a legitimate political political coup. You know, I don't think anything like that. Um, I think Biden said this himself, but even before that, I was saying like, look, if he's is the president elect at some point, uh, the power of the government will transfer over to him and he will have the armed services at his disposal if he wants to remove Donald Trump from the White House. But besides that, I don't think Trump can hold on to the White House because when you're Donald Trump, when you're that person, people are looking for an excuse not to support you. You know, I, I um, in some ways, this kind of connects with what I did over the weekend, but I, I saw the comedian Burt Kreischer. He, he's been doing this driving comedy tour and me and my girlfriend went and saw him. Uh, he did this show um, at a a drive-in is what they're calling it. I, I think they just sort of... I don't think it is a drive-in typically. I think they set this venue up. But that'll give you a picture of what it is. It was it was a drive-in comedy show where people show up like a drive-in. They build the stage. Someone does comedy. They project it on the screens. You you know, you know tune in the same way. The audio comes in through your car. It was very disappointing. <laughs> you know, it was it was fine. But um, the whole thing was just kind of a nightmare. And, and, uh, and for my anxiety, it was just like not a comfortable position to be in to watch a show. But we'll, we'll get to that later. The point is, is that today, because I, I had Burt Kreischer on the brain, I was sort of looking him up on YouTube and I saw, uh, he does a weekly podcast with Bill Burr. Uh, they call it the Bill Burt podcast. And I was looking at their most recent episode, actually, I, cause I think it was posted today. I was kind of hoping maybe he would be, <laughs> maybe he would talk about the show and I would get to feel cool that, Oh, Hey, he's talking about a show that I was at, et cetera. Um, I don't think I finished the episode, but one thing they were talking about, uh, they're both comedians, they're both successful comedians, and they've both been uh, around for a long time, and of course they're both enjoying an incredible amount of success. Um, It's actually crazy, you know, when you have these sort of, uh, even comedy personalities, people that you are, you know, you're you're familiar with them because of the, the podcast that they do, and you see the YouTube videos, and you say, oh wow, this gets like, you know, I don't know, like an episode of your mom's house when it gets posted, it gets like half a million views right away. And you think, holy shit, that's a lot of, that's a lot of people. But if you actually go out to one of their shows and it, it's almost even more impressive to think, you know, here I am in a parking lot with a thousand cars. And you just think this is one city. This guy's been doing this all over the country just to actually see like a physical, representation more than just a number or some metric on you know musicians we judge our influence by spotify streams or or our reach um facebook page likes and all that sort of shit when you actually have that sort of physical manifestation of influence it's uh it's disorienting honestly but um but they were talking today about being successful comedians and as they were coming up seeing so many other people just kind of make it big for a little bit treating everybody like shit and then of course the weather changes and now they're on the downslope again. You know, nobody's success is constant. You know, and there's that old adage like, be careful, be nice to everybody on the way up because you've got to pass them all on the way down again. The, the amount of people who can't take that to heart is incredible. And Donald Trump is just one of those people who 
I don't think he can hold on to office because he has the he would have the support of nobody. I mean, of course, he has his, uh, you know, he has a core group of of yes men and people who are uh, on the dole and in his pocket or whatever the fuck it is. But make no mistake, if you're the type of person who just goes through life and treats people like shit and uh, is just kind of a what is he? He's just a. He's just a sour dude. Like, there's nobody who could, gen- there's nobody who could genuinely like him who's not profoundly damaged themselves. You know, I, I was gonna say I don't like to paint people with a broad brush. That's exactly what I like to do. But I was gonna say I, I don't want to paint people with a broad brush. But if you if you look at Trump and decide that you like him, I think there's something profoundly wrong with you. And I'm not saying you're a fundamentally bad person, but you are you are incredibly miscalibrated somehow. And I think people who are around you or, you know, the time that you're in office, you know, they're sycophants. They're going to suck at the teat of, of whoever is in power for their own advantage. But especially if you're Donald Trump, I, people, I think people are looking for an excuse to fucking abandon you. And so I, I think it's going to be one of those, th- it's going to be, dude, it, dude, Trump, <laughs> Trump leaving office is going to be the end of fucking training day. When Denzel Washington is saying, somebody smoke this fool. And that guy's going to come up and say, hey man, you got you to gotta put in your own work around here. And just puts a gun at Denzel Washington's feet. And Donald Trump's going to be going, uh, I run this shit. King Kong ain't got shit on me. And everybody's just going to be fucking walking away from him. <laughs> Donald Trump is going to be like Denzel Washington at the end of fucking training day. He's going to get blasted up by a bunch of Russian mafia people and he's going to be crawling toward the money in the trunk and they're not even going to give a fuck. It, dude, if someone hasn't made a mashup, some kind of uh, deep fake version of that scene with Donald Trump's face on Denzel Washington, that shit would go viral. I wish I was more technologically savvy. I'd fucking make that shit tonight. That's exactly what him leaving the White House is going to be. It's going to be Jerry Maguire saying, who's coming with me? All I want to know is who's coming with me and nobody's going to fucking go except Renee Zellweger. Who is Rudy Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani by the way, is the Renee Zellweger, Zellweger in this situation. Is it inappropriate to say that I actually watched the Borat movie? Well, I, actually, I didn't watch the whole thing. I just sort of skimmed through it. But I saw the, uh, you know, I saw everyone's reaction to it or I, I, I saw what I thought was in the film and I was fucking floored. You know, there was this whole hoopla about, uh, I, don't, I don't know what it was exactly. This, <laughs> this is how, how, how little I look into things, but it, weren't people accusing Joe Biden's son of soliciting a minor for sex or something like that? And then it turns out, too, Rudy Giuliani was spearheading this campaign, right? And it turns out he was being accused of doing the same thing in the fucking new Borat movie. And I started watching the movie, and it's fucking garbage. Um, it's, just not, it's just not funny, right? Like, we've all seen this gimmick before. Um, and so I just skimmed through it and I sort of, you know, I understood the plot. And then this whole sequence with Rudy Giuliani, which is supposed to be like the tentpole of the entire show. Now I know he's married and I know it doesn't look good, but it's not like, you know, the way this was talked about by the liberal media and by people on Facebook was that he basically was like soliciting a known 15 year old for sex, which is not what happens in the movie. He's sitting across from someone who he thinks is just an attractive newscaster and yeah, he's married, and I'm not saying that this is appropriate. Uh, I'm not, or I guess I'm saying I'm not saying it looks good. Who the fuck knows what his relationship dynamic is? Maybe he has permission from his wife to bed whoever the fuck he wants. I don't know. But nobody mentioned 15 until Borat comes running in in his uh, ashless chaps or whatever he's wearing and starts screaming she's 15, year old, 15 years old. And of course he's mortified. Believe me, this is a nightmare. Nobody wants footage of them like this floating in the atmosphere. But it was not what people sold it to be, right? Which is like uh, uh, footage of Giuliani trying to actively bet a 15-year-old girl. Someone he knew was a 15-year-old girl. Um, Anyway, why the fuck are we talking about that? Joe Biden, Donald Trump trying to get out of office. Anyway, it's just not going to go well. It's going to be training day and Jerry Maguire up in this motherfucker. So I don't know. I, I you know maybe I'm dumb. 
you know, again, I'm sure Joe Biden is a fucking evil man <laughs> also. I'm sure, you know, this could be one of those things where like, uh, you know, one year or two years into his presidency, we're going to revisit the whole idea of him being a pedophile. Remember that's all everybody was ever doing was sharing those footage of him like combing little girls' hairs and shit. I mean, he's kind of a creepy guy himself, right? I will say, though, his, um, his uh, what do you call it, his win speech? I don't know. His election speech, whatever the fuck it was. He was probably more, more cogent in that speech than I ever heard him in any other <laughs> public speaking event, which was surprising. I mean, I saw the first d- debate. I did not see the second debate. Was there even a third? I saw the uh, first debate, and he's just, like, a, he's, to me, he seems like a fucking bumbling idiot. You know, there, there's just, there's no passion in him. There's, there's just nothing there. He's just sort of a cornflake, <laughs> right? He's a cornflake of a president. Um, but uh, I was surprised at how uh, together he seemed, how, you know, the truth is he probably practiced that speech a whole shit ton. So uh, maybe that was it. I mean, I'm, I'm sure for the last couple of days when they saw the tide turn in the election, he's been uh, practicing in the mirror, uh, feeling pretty confident that this, that this was going to happen. Um one thing I did want to say, though, because it was, um, you know, me and my girlfriend went on this long hike yesterday out near Carquines, if you want to map that up. There's uh, there's this area of the Bay Area, kind of north of Berkeley and Richmond, called Crockett, and there's this bridge called the Carquines Bridge. There's the Carquines Regional Shoreline. We're sort of walking around that area. It's very beautiful. Saw some cows, which I love. I don't know why. I love running into cows. And if you hike in California in the Bay Area, you're likely to come on some fucking cows. I mean, one of my girlfriend and I's most prized possession is this video of us going on a hike where, you know, I'm sort of, we're walking by this fucking cow, and I'm just like kind of filming it as we're walking by, and it just sort of turns tail and fucking runs after us going, trying to scare us off. I don't know. It's, It's like, if this was 10 years ago, or 20 years ago, rather, it would have been sent to America's Funniest Home Videos. It's a fucking classic, but a uh, good day. But as we're talking, there was, a, there, you know, I love playing chess and actually <laughs> I know I'm all over the fucking map today, folks on Netflix. They have that new show, the Queen's Gambit, which I'm fucking blown away when I, when I log into Netflix, they're showing that shit as number one. I'm, I'm fucking floored because I love chess and I saw the trailer and I was barely interested in watching it. I did watch the first episode with my girlfriend uh, a week ago and it's okay. Um, but I love playing chess and in the last six months my girlfriend's kind of gotten into it too and she's starting from bare minimum she's just learning I mean I think she was kind of familiar with the rules but kind of needed to brush up that's where she's starting from Um, but we play chess pretty frequently now and she plays on her own uh, on chess.com she has her own account and she'll play and she's fucking incredible you know I mean she's never beaten me but still (laughs) <laughs> she's she's a better chess player than I am. It doesn't mean she wins, but I mean, when you look, there's something about chess all the time. You know, it, it's it's a metaphor for life. It's a metaphor for war. It's a it's a metaphor for a lot of things. I'm not going to go into it all now, but I mean, chess is a very very deep game, and I think it's more. It's not just deep because of you know how games are interesting and why chess in particular is you know a benchmark of of certain types of games. You know, these sort of system games which. You know, the rules themselves are relatively easy to understand, um, but just by their very nature, they're, they're sort of endless, you know? Some people think you can solve for chess, uh, you can solve the game of chess, so to speak, and I'm, uh, maybe with a powerful enough computer you can, but, um, but uh, chess is just a beautiful game. Um, but when you think about chess in the way that it sort of shows you who you are, you know, chess asks a lot of people, you know, you have to have concentration, you have to, I don't know, it's, I don't know if you call it critical thinking, I don't know what you call it, but it takes a certain type of patience, right? It's not a, you know, it's not a first person shooter like Halo. It's, uh, it's a thinking game. And uh, I'm surprised myself that I find it as stimulating as I do, because I I have a pretty low threshold for boredom. And yet I, I love playing chess. Um, and I play, I probably play like six games of chess a day. You know, I only, I play like a five minute time limit, but uh, I probably play about half a dozen games of chess a day. I'd be, I'd be a lot better if I played slower because I'd learn more, but uh, that's just where I, I want it to be fun. You know, I don't want to sit around and study chess. But anyway, my girlfriend plays, 
it doesn't matter how lost she is in the position, she will look and and try to play the best move. And I enjoy playing her more than most people that I play because she takes it very seriously. So anyway, I'm just trying to say that my girlfriend's a good chess player. She may not be winning, but she's still a great chess player in that she I'm I'm always impressed by the moves that she finds. Um and even though I even though I I beat her, I don't feel like I'm playing a, an inferior player. Right? Like I have to stay on my toes. I can't just fuck around. Like I I have to f- try to play the best move in every position cuz if I make a mistake, she'll capitalize on it. And um I don't know. I'm just really impressed with her. Um The point of that Oh, so one thing that she and I have both noticed is as we play, you know, when you play online, you know, you can sort of play strangers to a game. It's actually kind of a cool part about playing on chess.com is you you play people from all over the world. But one thing that we hate is there's this uh, chat feature, which you can disable. I never do. But there's nothing I hate worse than a, um, you know, it makes sense to me when you play a game like Halo or Call of Duty, you have these young teenager kids who like to talk shit right? You're on the intercom with other people. They talk shit or whatever. The fact that people do it in chess is fucking irritating to me. One, it's chess. You're a nerd if you're playing it. <laughs> you're a nerd if you're playing it and you're fucking, if you're talking shit while you're playing chess, it's just nerd rage, right? So people talk shit all the time. But one thing I love is when people start talking shit in the chess chat and then you beat them. And my favorite thing in the world you know, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I even dropped my queen, but you're in a totally lost position. But me, I never, I, I very rarely resign unless I've literally just getting my ass handed to me and I've, I've, I've just had enough of it and I want to do something else. I play the game till it's over because there's been so many times where I've like lost my queen. I'm in a totally lost position, but somebody makes a mistake. You know, you can go from completely losing to winning in one move if somebody blunders bad enough. And there's also an adage in chess, you know, the hardest thing in chess to do is to win a won game. You know, it can be easy to win material to have a material advantage, but if you can't see how to win, man, the game can go on forever, right? And it just, every move is just another chance for you to make another, another mistake. You get complacent, you start throwing your pieces around without concerning where you're putting them, and next thing you know, you're, you forgot about the back rank, and now you got a fucking back rank checkmate, and you're fucked, and you lost the game. Um... There's nothing worse than somebody saying GG, good game, when the game's not over. It's bad sportsmanship. And I've alluded to this person that I've been friends with, someone I, I, I have known creatively. I, we collaborated on a project years ago. But they've since become this sort of alt-right person. And I know there's this blowback now, like, you know, uh, there's always these... It's like I wake up one day and we've all decided that we're, we're sort of laying into one thing today. Like the flavor of the day for a while was... You know, people who post things like, no matter who wins tomorrow, you know, oh, those people are assholes, right? Because this is the most important election of our lifetime, and anybody who's for, uh, anybody who could ever float the idea of being tolerant of other, of other people's political perspectives is um, uh, sort of uh, tangentially supporting uh, a racist presidency, right? Like, if Donald Trump wins, it definitely fucking matters. You know? How dare, how dare you even... Uh, uh, how, how dare you even float the idea of even being friends with people who could, poss- could possibly support that person? Okay, so that's one perspective. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I've stayed in touch with this person partly because as they've switched over to this sort of alt-right perspective, it's just been a nice window into their world, you know? Uh, one, I'm just fucking surprised. Like, it, it, it's almost like seeing an intelligent person, you know, get into like a pyramid scheme. And they just start saying shit like, yeah, man, it's all about having goals. And it's all about, you know, like people like just drink the Kool-Aid with one thing and, and they have all these ideas and insights, but they don't have any practical plan. It's like somebody attending the fucking Tony Robbins things and, and then they just start evangelizing to you. Like, yeah, man, success is all about a plan. It's all about setting goals. No, they don't even have a plan. They just say it's all about setting a goal, man. I have a goal and uh, I envisioned it. I willed, I willed this into my life and, and I'm going to be successful. And it's like, okay, well, let's see how that goes. Um, just watching this person descend into, in, into sort of Trump support has been uh, just a little strange and kind of spooky. And I swear, like, every couple days I see shit they're posting and I just think, dude, you should just unfriend this person. 
But then I, it's like I don't want to lose touch with the other side. You know? I, it's like I feel like this stuff is instructive. You know, I remember years ago, this at the height of the fucking George Bush hate, like O'Reilly was like, uh, you know, Rush Limbaugh, I think had already fallen from grace or whatever. But Bill O'Reilly was like the conservative pundit. And every time I was over at my stepdad's place, he had cable. And if it happened to be on, not, I mean, my, my stepdad is not a fucking Bush supporter. He's a staunch liberal. He's a Vietnam vet who fucking hates conservatives. Um, um, but for some reason, like maybe the cable would be on or something and I'd see Bill O'Reilly. I would watch Bill O'Reilly and most of his shit I fucking disagreed with, but you know, they say even a broken clock is right twice a day. He would still say stuff where I go, yeah, well, that makes sense to me. There's, and even when I was the most, the most atheistic, I was spending a shit ton of time with religions. I was listening to Catholic radio all the time, you know? There's just something about it that's interesting to me. If I don't agree with you, I, I, I usually find the system of thinking interesting. Now, I'm not reading up on fucking Nazism or, or the fucking KKK ideology, but there's something about this person being all about Trump now, which is fucking fascinating to me. And it's a little cringy. You know, and that's a part of life. Like sometimes we just like watching people embarrass themselves. Some of you report that's why you listen to this podcast, but that's okay. You can do that. I get it. You watch someone doing something, you're like, Jesus Christ, that person just embarrasses themselves every week by putting a microphone in front of their face and just talking. Man, they will live to regret this shit. I get that. That's how I feel about this person's Facebook posts. But after the first night when many of us were just sort of like, you know, feeling a little defeated. We saw the red wave of Donald Trump sort of rising again. And we thought, you know what? I feel really stupid for being optimistic, for believing the pundits when clearly they have no idea what the fuck they're talking about, clearly. You feel like that fucking idiot again. Like, didn't I learn my lesson the first time? Lo and behold, they start counting the fucking results and this country's lost their fucking mind. They went another four years on the fucking roller coaster ride? What the fuck is wrong with people? This dude posts, GG, Democrats. You know, as if the game's over. Good game, Democrats. And one thing me and my girlfriend love since we started playing chess is when we realize we got one of those fucking guppies on the line. Because if you've ever wanted to win a game, it's when somebody says, when somebody calls GG or good game before the game is over, that's my favorite shit in the fucking world. And you don't always win those games, right? In fact, if there's, any, if there's any loss that hurts the most, it's losing to a GG motherfucker. A premature GG motherfucker is the worst person to lose to. Because you're sitting across from a snarky-ass motherfucker. Like, if you go back and watch Searching for Bobby Fischer, which I think is the best chess movie ever made. I think it's the best thing ever made about chess, ever. Despite its shitty script, and I think we've talked about this, on paper, that movie should not work. It should be a piece of shit. It should have gone direct to video, and nobody should have ever watched it. But they, and I fucking hate kid actors, but the kid they have in that movie is fucking incredible. They cast incredible people in every other role, and Searching for Bobby Fischer is a fucking great movie. It's well-directed, it's well-shot, and the actors do such a good job with a shitty script. It should be an abomination, and it's not. It's a genuinely great movie. Um, there's this fucking little shit, you know, the sort of villain kid chess player, you know, the, uh, uh, oh, of course I can't remember his name, uh, Josh, Josh Waitskin is, the, is uh, uh, the chess player that the movie's based on. Or a real, real story, chess prodigy. I think he got into kung fu eventually. He, left, he stopped playing chess uh, competitively and got into kung fu. Very interesting guy, but, uh, you know, his arch nemesis in the film, you know, not in real life, this is a movie that they're making, but his arch nemesis in the film is this other young kid who's just kind of a little shit, a talented little shit, he's like the Cobra Kai of chess, right? <laughs> like, there's like the Miyagi Dojo, which is all about like wax on, wax off, and like uh, crane kick, and like being a good person, right? And then there's the Cobra Kai Dojo, uh, which is they're all about just like kicking ass and taking names and being little shits and cheating, right? They're always cheating. It's like the whole Rambo Stallone thing where like Stallone's just lifting logs and like running up steps and like being all natural and then the Russians are cheating with their steroids. 
Now, of course, Salone is on a fucking roid cycle while he's shooting the movie, but that's how they frame these types of things. And so they do the same thing with searching for Bobby Fischer. There's the good little boy, and then there's a little fucking snarky shit. And his whole thing is, is like when he takes your queen, he says, trick or treat. And if you're sitting across from a trick or treat motherfucker, you just want to fucking destroy them. <laughs> you want to destroy the trick or treat motherfuckers, man. And I saw him post that GG Democrats, and I was like, God damn it. Now I really want you to lose. And I think he's gone back and deleted it. And I don't give a fuck. I don't engage on social media with people, but there's a part of me that just wants to go, hey, GG. Because <laughs> my favorite thing, when you get a GG motherfucker, you know, I don't. You know, my girlfriend um, debates me on this a little bit, but it's like, if I get bad service, if I have a bad Airbnb experience, I don't give a fuck. I mean, it sucks, but I don't leave people a bad review. I just don't care. You know, like my shit sucked and there's just nothing about me leaving that person a bad review that is satisfying to me at all. I don't know what that means. You know, you could argue that, you know, if you have a bad experience, you can leave a bad review and that might sway someone else from staying away and you know, I don't know, protecting the integrity of their vacation. I don't fucking know. Maybe, but I just don't do that. It it just doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me, you know? Um, uh, so what am I saying? I don't know. I don't engage. Maybe that's it. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not going to go back and respond to this person. Oh, maybe I'm saying when I get these, one of these GG trick or treat motherfuckers on chess, I don't say shit. You know, I don't rate them poorly. I don't report them to the fucking website, but what my favorite thing to just say to people you know, if they're fucking saying good game or calling the game before it's over and then I end up winning, it's just say this. Never celebrate too early. Never celebrate too early. Never celebrate too soon. Because you never fucking know what's going to happen. The best thing you'll... Dude, if you want to just fucking enjoy your life, just go into YouTube and type that. Never celebrate too soon or never celebrate too early compilation. And you will see the best shit in the world. All the people who are doing like the Tour de France and they're crossing the finish line with their fucking fist pump in the air and someone just zooms right past them. You know, they think they got the lead. They think they're head and shoulders above everybody else. And right when they come up the finish line, some motherfucker who was behind before who just kept their head down and didn't stop, they're a nose over the finish line before the other person. And of course... First of all, that's the hi- that's the highlight reel you don't want to make. Like the the the, the, your, the, ni- the biggest nightmare of your life is celebrating too soon, and then you're that guy. Like you see it, you know these never celebrate too soon things. Excuse me. The best one are fights. You got some guy walking in the ring. He's like jabbing and dancing and expending all his energy, and you just got one dude who's just calm in the other corner, just chill, just being cool. They go to the center to touch gloves, and the guy's talking shit spitting in his face saying fuck you i'm about to fucking kick your ass and the other dudes just chill <laughs> what's that there's a rap like a real thug is a thug that's hush some he's not making a big show he's just chill and then when the bell rings just fucking ring that dude's bell they just come to the center and you just fucking knock that guy out in one hit those are the fucking best um few and far between but we love that there's something about that that we love and there's something about this uh i don't know this gg post and now that uh, joe biden's the uh, president-elect i just want to say well there you go what's the big talk though voter fraud that's the shit that everyone's worried about um i don't know anything about it um you know maybe this is just me being a contrarian but it's like no matter who wins the other side you know, needs an excuse why the, why, why their team lost. I mean, I remember when George Bush won, it was voter fraud. That's all you heard. It was a rigged election. George Bush stole the election. You know, when Hillary Clinton lost, it was the Electoral College. We have to abolish the Electoral College. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe we do. But I can tell you right now, <laughs> if that was the, you know, if Trump had actually gotten more votes, but won because of the Electoral College, people would be thanking their lucky fucking stars. Right, I mean, in a way, it goes back to chess. The other type of person you get in chess commentary sometimes is people who don't like the way you're using your time. Um, maybe a lot of people don't know this. Some people do. But when you play chess competitively, 
you play on time. Otherwise, the game would be fucking forever. But you can basically choose how long the game's going to be. I usually play five minutes aside with a five-second increment, meaning when you move, when it's your turn to move, your clock is running, and you have five minutes to play the entire game. And every time you make a move, you get five more seconds. You can think about that. But basically, the game's going to be at most 10 minutes long, maybe, you know, with uh, stoppage, or not stoppage time, but with the increment, it can it can go longer than that, but uh, but it's going to be about a 10-minute game. And sometimes you're thinking about your move, and you've been thinking for a minute and a half, and someone just, like, messages you, like, hey, hurry up. And you're just like, hey, man, I can use my time however I want to. If you'd like to play at a faster time increment, you're welcome to do that on your next game, but this is the game you signed up for. Um... I don't know what the f- I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about anymore. I'm bouncing back and forth between chess and politics and I don't I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I don't know, voter fraud, the electoral college. I don't know. I guess I'm I guess when, when I think about this whole voter fraud thing is I don't know. Maybe there was some voter fraud. I wouldn't I I, I wouldn't put it past Trump's party to cheat and uh I I don't know. I wouldn't put it past I wouldn't put it past anybody to cheat in politics. It, the whole thing seems like a fucking uh, corrupt uh, little dance that we're, that we're doing. But uh, so I don't know. But I will just say that you know the type of vehemence you see, like this GG motherfucker that I'm friends with on Facebook. Um, just the amount of fucking shit that they're posting about voter fraud and dead people in Wyoming voting. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, for some reason, I'm thinking about this Flat Earth documentary that I saw a long time ago. I think, I, I think it's called Behind the Curve. It, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's still on Netflix. You'd have to look it up and see, but it's just this fascinating documentary about Flat Earthers. And I think the, the reason it's so interesting is, of, of course, it's funny, because Flat Earthers are just kind of fundamentally funny, right? Like, to have a funny reel, all you have to do is go to a Trump rally and just, like, film people, and of course, you're going to hear some funny shit, because people say funny shit now of course if you went to a leftist rally or a joe biden rally you're gonna hear people say equally dumb shit absolutely but uh you know there's just a certain brand of 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 dumb reasoning that you can expect to hear from some flat earthers so there's plenty of that stuff but the documentary doesn't really like see you know the, the premise isn't isn't just see how dumb these people are you really feel like they're just trying to understand and as you try to understand or infiltrate their reasoning you hear some dumb shit but it just for some reason and i guess i'm trying to bring it back to myself but it kind of reminds me of even my time where i was the most evangelical or the most um under the sway of the I Ching, which i still am but there's something about what i see this person going through that i think a lot of us could probably relate to which is you know, it comes at different times. For some people, it's in our late teens, it's in the middle of our teens, it's in our 20s, it's, I think for a lot of people, it probably is around their 30s. Um, for me, it was the I Ching, where f- something entered my life that just completely changed my, changed my perspective on things. Um, but I approached it with some precaution, you know, a lot of us go through our life feeling like we're searching for something. The puzzle pieces don't seem to fit. And what's interesting about this Flat Earth documentary is it says the people who are the most evangelical about it, the people who get into it, it's because they've lived their life, for the most part, feeling like something wasn't working. Either they weren't comfortable in their own skin, or they weren't finding the social group that they wanted to, or they never felt like they belonged, or they felt like they were they were fighting something, and they never understood what it was. And all of a sudden, they stumble across this worldview or this perspective where they're shown a mystery. They're shown a way of seeing the world that shows that something you have been told or, or, or you, you know, people want you to believe is true is not. The world is fundamentally different. And you, of all people, now have a privileged insight into the way the world really is. And it's not that that insight actually changes anything about your life. But in that one sea change in your perspective... It, it embodies how you've, how you've experienced your life up to that point. I knew something was wrong. 
And in the case of Flat Earth, it's like, it's the fucking man, right? It's the government. It's the lies they're trying to teach me. You know, it's, uh, I don't know. And, and you feel like, I always feel like there was something destined for me. I always felt like I was special. And of course, now I have this special insight, you know, and that, that, that just sort of fills whatever vo- void I've been feeling in my life, right? I think we all have moments like that, you know? And for some people, it's social justice. And for some people, it's flat earth, Um You know, and for a lot of people, it's religion. You know, uh, I know people in my life who've had years of religious fervor that they have walked away from. Um, you know, for me, the, I, the, my time with the I Ching and Chinese philosophy when I first stumbled upon it qualifies for me. I mean, it's not, I mean, I would say I'm kind of lucky in that there's something fundamentally kind of humanistic and, and and secular about a lot of that stuff. So it's not like I... Uh, ended up joining the Hare Krishnas or or, or uh, flying uh, to uh, French Guyana with Jim Jones and fucking drinking the Kool-Aid with the cult or anything like that. But there was a period where I, I, I thought I was losing my fucking mind because I was thinking of, about things and seeing the world in a way I never, ever thought I would. And I, I, I thought I was crazy, you know? And, I, and on some level, I really believed I had a magic book, um you know, that I was, I was given a sort of perspective on the world that not a lot of people get to see. And if I'm being honest with you, I still kind of believe that. I mean, there's, there's, there's something about my time with that book that it's like, I've seen the last five, six years kind of play out. You know, it's like, there's a part of me that does feel like I had this vision that I've just been seeing play out, uh, for the last five or six years. Um, uh, and that sounds weird to say. And, uh, but, but the only point I'm trying to make is, I actually feel like I deeply relate to feeling like you're in on something, you know, that other people aren't in on and wanting them to see it too. I mean, the other side of that coin is as much as I have this dude who's become all right, I have another friend from my past or another acquaintance of my past who hasn't, you know, it's not that they've even gone far left. They've gone sort of detached from all things. And uh, it's hard for me to describe because I, you know, not that you'll ever identify this person, but you know, I have to assume that uh, there's always a chance that people I know could identify this person who happened to listen to this podcast, but they're just posting a lot of embarrassing shit. They're clearly having some kind of spiritual, they're at some crossroads in their spiritual journey and they're, and they're, they're writing very confidently these long uh, diatribes about politics and, and Trump and, and I know to them it makes sense. You just, you, you feel the heat coming off. You feel the religious fervor. Like, I feel like I know what it's like to read stuff like that and think, I know this makes a lot of sense to you right now, and I'm not trying to be totally judgmental because in a way I feel like I've been, I've been there myself. Um, but I think what I'm saying is, I think if you are in those moments and, you're, and you maintain your skepticism and you... And you um, I mean, in some ways, I think I'm lucky that I was as skeptical of that, of that experience as I was while it was happening. And it made the living experience of it both... I mean, it was kind of wonderful and magical, but it also made it kind of difficult too because I thought maybe I was going crazy. But I think that that side of me that was constantly checking in with myself and wondering if I was going crazy kind of saved me in a lot of ways. I'm like, I, I don't know what the danger of it would have been, but I'm just saying I see what I think is other people dumping, jumping headfirst into things with no fucking safety net, you know? Like, I don't think you're a bad person if you, uh, maybe you start to hear Trump speaking and it, and it speaks to you, or maybe you actually start to explore some of these alt-right groups or the, I don't even know what the fuck they are, but like the Proud Boys or whatever the fuck people are looking at. I really don't know anything about them. But I can imagine hypothetically someone being in a place where they start to look into that and it makes sense to them, right? But just be careful, because you never know. It's like anything. You know, just draw on your experience as a teenager, I mean, why do you think parents tell kids all the time, don't get married when you're young, don't get tattoos, don't get a face tattoo? You know, you think you know what your life is going to be like. Believe me, about every four years, like a presidency, about every four years, you're going to look up and you're going to, if you're, if you're living right, I think you're going to be a completely different person. And you, there, you just do not have the ability or the capacity or the powers to see what the future is going to be. So just don't go all in on any one thing just yet. Just wait and see. It'll always be there if you want to, 
go in on the alt-right, if you want to go in on Flat Earth, if you want to go all in on whatever, that option is always open. But let's maintain our interest, let's keep looking into it. But let's see how we feel in four years. Because I think what happens to a lot of people is they find Scientology, they start reading the books, it makes a lot of sense, they start spending some money, and then after four years when the novelty kind of wears off and this is just their life, and they sort of acclimated to it like everything else they do, they sort of settle back into a place where they kind of are who they are. And I'm, and it's not that you don't get great things out of that. Like anybody, if you've if you dabbled in Scientology, if you've dabbled in the I Ching, if you've dabbled in even in the alt-right, there's something there to learn. You know, maybe you went too far left for a while. You know, maybe you were a burner forever and you thought, fuck it, I'm not going to go to college and I'm just going to burn and I'm going to look for an alternative community and I'm going to live on a commune in India and I'm going to have my guru or whatever the fuck it is. I'm going to do ayahuasca and LSD and I'm just going to, you know, live a caravan lifestyle. Well, you can do that. But let's make sure that if you happen to look up in four years, you have the option of maybe going back to school or something. Maybe put a little money away or something. Does that make sense? I understand having the strength of your convictions right now, but just be smart. So I don't know, what am I saying? There's just something weird about maybe looking into other people's lives and feeling like you both relate deeply to where they're at and kind of maybe the fervor that they're feeling in the moment, but in some ways you're kind of embarrassed for them too. You know, but I never want to be that person because you do see people engage who respond and leave shitty comments and say things like, oh, fuck you. I knew you when you were this person. Go fuck yourself. I don't know. I just don't engage. Anyway, dude, I'm looking at the time. I mean, I was going to talk about books. I've been reading so much. It's actually incredible. Normally when I'm in school, I just don't have any time to read for pleasure. And I think part of what's facilitating it is when I was reading Slaughterhouse-Five, it's a, it's a light book. I mean, it's a serious fucking book, but it's also, you know, it's not a crime and punishment. You know, there's a, certain, there's a viscosity to books, right? Some books are just really dense and thick. You know, Infinite Jest is a viscous book. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Crime and Punishment is a viscous book. You know, Slaughterhouse-Five is a fucking brilliant book, and it's a smart book, and it's a deep book, but it's light, too. Uh, I think that helps. But yeah, I, I said I read Night Shift by Stephen King last week. Since you and I have spoken, I read Misery, which was phenomenal. Not as good as when I was a kid, right? I mean, there's... I don't know when Misery was written. I, I think it may have been, you know, substance abuse time for Stephen King. But still, it's a great book. Like Night Shift, you do see these sort of... There are these kind of regrettable moments where Stephen King lingers a little too long on an image or there's some sort of awkward something. You know, it just falls a little bit short of perfection. But in contrast, I read Sphere by Michael Crichton. And that shit sucked. Or maybe I should say it doesn't suck. I mean, it's it's a competent book. I totally understand why I loved it as a kid. But it, I, I mean, to me, it was a deep book when I was 11. <laughs> you know, and as an adult, it... You know, you read it, and it's a page-turner, but it's more Da Vinci Code than Stephen King, you know? Like, I, I, I read Da Vinci Code around the time that it came out, and it is full fluff, you know? And you're turning the page, and you get why it's entertaining, but there's not a lot to fucking chew on, you know? It, it does a lot of hand-holding, is what it feels like. It really holds your hand through the book, and Sphere definitely has that. It's not, not very deep. The characters are pretty soft. And actually, I mean, I could even bookmark the page because there's some interesting, uh, just to see the shift that we've had in, in just sort of our, I don't know if you call it gender perspective or gender roles. I mean, there's a there's one character, the female protagonist, this girl, Beth. You know, throughout the book, she's kind of like a, a feminist and you think, oh, wow, this person's pretty progressive. And by the end of the book, Michael Crichton just fucking skewers her as like being a victim and she sees the world... And you just think, this would just never fucking fly right now. There's no fucking way this character would be... Michael Crichton would be fucking skewered. Um, and maybe we're not supposed to speak ill of the dead. But um, yeah, Sphere does not hold up a whole lot. It's entertaining, but nah, not... 
Not a very deep book. Man, maybe I got COVID at the comedy show. Woo! Anyway, we got to go here in a little bit, but um, I'm in the middle of, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a quarter of the way into Jurassic Park right now. And I finished Fight Club, which was also great. So, so maybe we'll talk about those things next week. Um, and I was even thinking about movies, movie adaptations. I know we've talked about that, but, uh, excuse me, that's something we're going to have to finish next week. Um, in the meantime, what can I say? I'm happy Joe Biden won. Um, you know, what do they say? The king is dead. Long live the king, man. Ding dong, the witch is dead. I'm glad Trump is gone. And, uh, let's just hope it's a peaceful transition and let's hope, uh, we put all this behind us as, as soon as we can. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Everywhere you find good podcasts, you'll find this one. But I think we're really trying to push people toward uh, those two platforms. So if you'd like to uh, subscribe to the show, take a minute, rate and review us. Give us five stars. If you listen to the show, do that. Just go to Apple Podcasts, give the podcast five stars, leave us a review, type a couple of sentences about why you like the podcast and why others will also. I'm not saying that everyone will. Clearly, not everyone does. But if you like it, let people know. Because uh, I, I, there's, there's certainly some of you that do. So there, and, and you know what? I think it's just fucking fine. Is it perfect? Fuck no. But it's fine for now. And, uh, and it's fun. And that's the important part. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. And if you can think of one person in your life you think would like it, send them your favorite episode. In the meantime, thank you for tuning in. This is uh, episode 60. Man, uh, another row on the abacus or something like that. We're turning another corner. We're in the 60s. Watch out, Joe Biden. We're going to be catching up with you soon. Episode 60 of the podcast. In the meantime, thank you for listening. Thank you for your time. And ciao for now.